Welcome to The Compass, a podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fanville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we share from God's Word. Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. On today's podcast, we're starting a new series from the book of Ephesians called Rags to Riches. Today's message is entitled Sit, Walk, Stand, and is from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's listen together. First year or two that uh, I was here, uh, I preached through the book of Ephesians in a very kind of the view from 30,000 feet. We uh, spent maybe six or seven messages on these six chapters, basically a message per chapter. It was more of an overview of this book. Well, we're going to dig a little bit deeper in this book beginning today. Now, today will be somewhat of an overview as well, Uh, but uh, I hope it will help you get the big picture, and then we will see far more specifics in the weeks to come. By the way, I want to encourage you. Uh, We have two special Sundays coming up. Next Sunday, of course, is Mother's Day, and we do have um, uh, a special thing taking place in that service that I'll not divulge, but I hope you'll be here for it. I know it'll be a blessing to you. And then two weeks from today, uh, our missionary that we, we support missionaries all over the world, <clears throat> but our church uh, is especially in a faith uh, support uh, partner with uh, missionary uh, Joe Costa, who lives and works in Lebanon. And Joe is going to be here with us two weeks from today uh, to share with us some really exciting things going on in a very troubled part of the world. And it'll be uh, an inspiration and blessing to you uh, to hear uh, how God is at work uh, in spite of so many things uh, that are working in opposition to the gospel. Well, I appreciate especially that last song. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I love that song. And I hope that phrase in the last verse about our lives being hidden with Christ on high. I hope that has stuck in your mind and in your heart because it's going to be a major part of what we're going to look at from Scripture today and what that means. Before we read, uh, I want to begin by just making the observation that I believe everyone loves a rags-to-riches story. Do we not? Whether it is a, a book that we read or the theme of a song that we hear sung, or a movie that we watch, somehow the theme of someone going from extreme poverty and extreme obscurity to a place of prominence, to a place of great success, maybe to a place of great riches, uh, that always somehow really grips our attention, whether it's the world of sports, our business, 
or entertainment. We love rags to riches story. So now what do most middle of the road people like you and me tend to do that? We all put ourselves in that position and think, oh, if that could just happen to me. And so we begin to think of ways that it might. And so we journey a little ways west of here and cross the state line and find ourselves at the Cherokee Casino trying to create our own rags to riches story, right? I see a few no's and I see some others who are afraid to say yes. Or maybe if we don't do that, we're paying for our gas at the convenience store and we buy a few of those scratch-offs or maybe the Powerball. Because if I could just win that $63 million, my life would be so much happier. We have the book of Proverbs, by the way, and we're not going to go over there, but the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the get-rich-quick mentality, which, by the way, seems to be the basic mentality of people today. This idea that, that if we could just get something that we don't have to work long and hard for, if we can find a shortcut to it, if we could get rich quick, how much better our lives would be. But this is what uh, Paul said to Timothy about that. Listen to this. In the context of, in the context of covetousness, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, we could go on and on with that and all the stories and examples of people who did strike it rich quick and how it led to, in many cases, in most cases, disaster and ruin in their own lives. So this idea of rags to riches, while it may capture our imagination, it's really not all that it's cracked up to be. Except for one example. And it's the example of the gospel story. The gospel is a rags to riches story. The Bible tells us repeatedly, Old Testament and New, that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we trade away our filthy rags of self-righteousness for Christ's robe of righteousness, that He puts a ring on our finger, that He puts a crown on our head, that He secures for us an eternity that we could have never earned ourselves. The story of redemption, bought and paid for by Jesus himself, is the greatest rags to riches story that there is. And every person that knows Christ as Savior here today, though you may not feel very rich, though when you look in the mirror you don't see somebody you think is rich, understand that's only because you're looking through the wrong set of eyes. For in fact, you have been made wealthy in Christ. And that is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. 
That is the story of redemption in Christ. And listen to me, it is the story of the book of Ephesians. And today we begin a journey through this letter. Pastor Dan, as I've already mentioned, laid a great foundation last week about historically how this church came to be and what their culture was like and what society was like. It is the place where the Apostle Paul spent more time in his ministry than anywhere else. It was the very center as he traveled east and west of there. It was the center and in some ways the heart here in Asia Minor of, uh, of his missionary endeavors. In its writing, the six chapters of the book of Ephesians may be considered the greatest of all of Paul's writings. In its, in its core, in, in the way that he uses the language in the Greek language, it is the highest and the loftiest in all of his writing styles. And it describes the Christian experience. In this book, we understand God's plan from eternity past. In this book, we learn of his work to secure eternal salvation for you and for me. Even before he created the world, he was already securing our salvation. We learn how we can experience victory in the Christian life. That we don't have to live defeated lives in fear and trepidation, that we can work not towards a place of victory, but we work from a position of victory. We learn of the absolute necessity and beauty of the Lord's church, that you will never please God, that you will never be in God's will, that you will never fulfill your God-given calling and purpose apart from deep commitment to a local church like Calvary or some other church that preaches the gospel, that that is the avenue through which we fulfill our callings. We learn in this book how husbands and wives can know what marriage was intended to be and how to guarantee a successful marriage. Those words are found in this short letter. We learn also how to stand against the very onslaught of Satan, the enemy of our souls, the evil one, the dragon, Lucifer himself, when we live by the principles of this book, has no option but to turn and flee. And we learn much more than even that. Now there is a theme that runs through Ephesians that I want to share with you. It is a metaphor for the Christian life. It's found in three words that explains what the Christian experience is all about. Now you already know what it is because the title of the message is given to you in your worship guide. And the title of the message is Sit, Walk, Stand. You've heard me use those three words before. You may not remember that. But it is the essence of the Christian life. It is the story of redemption. It is the path to spiritual maturity. It is the only way that you'll find victory in life. I hope you're interested in what it means to live the life God intended for you. I hope that you are 
committed to a desire to grow into full spiritual maturity and that you desire to live and walk as true disciples of Christ, well, what I'm going to share with you today is the way. It is the way. Now, this one message, these three words, could be fleshed out into a dozen or more messages. But I'm going to give it to you in one. And if we run out of time, two. All right? So you're going to have to think fast. You're going to have to listen fast. And you're going to have to write fast if you're keeping notes. These three words describe the posture of the child of God. I think we have an illustration. Can we put that on the screen? Yeah. Sit, walk, stand. Do you see the three people? You see how they illustrate. And the third one may bring a question to you, but I believe it'll make sense as we move along. First of all, sit. Our position in Christ. To sit, to be seated, is our posture in Christ. Now that doesn't mean you're to just come to church and find your seat from Sunday to Sunday and walk away and that's that, all right? Uh, that's not what we mean here. I think you'll grasp it as we read some selected verses. First of all, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, we read these verses earlier, but now skip down to verse 20 of our text. Speaking of how uh, the Father has blessed the Son and empowered the Son, we read in Paul's prayer in verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So notice what verse 3 and verse 20 tells us. In verse 3, that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We are in him and blessed in him. Where is he? Where is he today? He is in heaven. Verse 20 tells us that at the end of his earthly work, when he had finished his course, when he had completed what the Father sent him to complete, the Bible said he ascended back to heaven and he took his rightful seat at the right hand of the Father. He is seated with the Father in heavenly places or literally in the heavenlies. It's where he was before he came to earth to be born of the Virgin Mary. He was at his father's right hand. The plan had already been sealed and settled in eternity past. And when the father said, son, now it's time for you to go, Jesus got up and he walked out of heaven, no doubt to the absolute deathly silence of all the angels of heaven who lived for, from eternity to give praises to his name. For you see, the angels were not privy to the plan. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the angels are looking in on us right now. And they looked in on the life of Jesus Christ. And as his life of sacrifice was unfolding, as he was being born of a virgin, living a sinless life, dying a sacrificial death in our place, being buried in a borrowed tomb, and then resurrected on the third day. Understand, the angels were learning. And the book of Hebrews says they still are learning today as God's plan unfolds. And so the father tells the son, it's time for you to go. And the son walks out of the portals of glory, leaving behind his seat of glory and his seat of superiority and authority. And he takes on the form of flesh. Brother Steve, I think this needs to come back. Thank you. And he lives a life subject to all of the passions and all of the temptations that you and I are subject to. But the difference is he did not give in to those things. He lived a sinless life. But when he had finished the work of redemption, what did he do? He ascended back to heaven. He went back into the gates of glory. He went striding down Main Street of heaven. And he went into the throne room of his father and he went back to his rightful seat and he sat down at the right hand of the father. Amen? And that's where he lives and rules and reigns and makes intercession for you and me today. But understand, the fact that he could go back there and sit down is because while hanging on the cross, his last words were, some of his last words, it is what? Finished. What was finished? His earthly life? No, he was going to take that back up. What was finished? His work as a Savior. He had completed his work of redeeming human beings like you and me. There was nothing left for him to do. He had faced Satan head on. He had won those battles. He had remained pure. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice that all the thousands of the sacrifices of the Old Testament pictured and envisioned. It is finished. That's why he could go back and take up his rightful place, seated in the heavenlies. Okay, does all that make sense to us? Do you have it? Do you got, you got that? All right, now here is the shocker. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus is in the heavenlies. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his Father. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about our salvation. It says, And he raised us up with him, that's speaking of Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You need to underline that phrase. And you need to meditate on that and you need to decide if you really believe what it's saying. Is this just a bunch of, uh, of religious heavenly talk? What does this mean? Surely he's talking about something future when we get to heaven, right? 
Well, understand this, and this is really hard to grasp, but it helps us in understanding some of the things that God says. Keep in mind that time is something created for us. We cannot imagine eternity. We cannot imagine something that always was and always will be. And even more so, we cannot imagine something where there is no past, present, and future. The framework of our whole thinking is yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? For some of us that have gotten like to my age and older, I know, you know, we thought getting old was going to take a lot longer, didn't we? Well, all of a sudden, it got here real fast. And for those of you that are children and are quite young, it seems that time just grinds on. And Is this school year ever going to get over? Is this sermon ever going to get over? The answer to both of those is no. <laughs> I'm kidding. But we think of past, present, future. That's the only way we can think. And so we try to understand eternal truths in the light of time. And it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. With God, everything is the eternal now. Get this. It is not when I get to heaven someday... Now, I know in your experience of it, it's that way. But the bottom line is this. This is what the Bible says. He, God, raised us up with Him, Jesus, and seated us with Him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are in the heavenlies with Jesus right now. Your soul, your spirit is already secured with Him. Your redemption is already paid for and finished. We are raised up and seated with Him. What does that mean for heaven's sake? I think two things are important about the, the way we look at that. First of all, it is our position in Christ. We are in Him, right? That's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite expressions for the Christian life in his writings. We are in Christ. Over and over and over again. In Romans, in Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians, in his writings to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon, we are in Christ. In Christ. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought Christ was in us. He is. Christ in you, the guarantee of glory, the guarantee of a heavenly home. But understand, that's looking at it the other way around. He is with you and in you here, but you were already in Him there. And you say, that just doesn't make sense. It makes complete sense in the economy of God. It just can't be grasped and fully fathomed in your mind and mine. Every born-again believer is in Christ. 
and in Christ we are wherever he is, right? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Positionally, now listen to me, positionally you are already in a place of ultimate victory. Do you ever feel defeated in your Christian life? If not, you're just not being realistic. I feel defeated on a regular basis. There are some particular temptations and struggles and sin tendencies that I have. I cry out with Paul like he said in Romans chapter 6, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Well, that's just the living out of this Christian life here, which is very important. But I'm already made perfect in him there. So it's not just a matter that we are trying to work towards victory, that we are trying to achieve victory. Believers, start seeing yourself from God's viewpoint. You don't work for victory. You don't strive for victory. You are already victorious. And if you can learn how to live your Christian life from a place that is already victorious, it will change everything about your life here and now. You are already in a place of victory, a place of blessing, a place of security, a place of eternal bliss. I know that's hard to understand, especially as we live out our struggles here on earth. But because of Jesus' finished work on our behalf and because of his grace towards us, we already have a rest in him in heaven. It is our position in Christ. But I said there's another way of looking at that. And it is that it is our posture before Christ. Our posture before Christ. What does that mean? As we are in Christ, we also, as his disciples and followers, we are to sit before Christ. Now that is the standard posture in Jesus' day. Jesus was the master teacher. He was the rabbi. As Jesus would teach, his followers would sit around him. He wasn't the first to do that. All the other rabbis and teachers did the same. Their pupils, their students would sit in a lower place because they were the learners learning from the master teacher. And when the Bible talks about us being seated with Christ, it's not just a matter of being seated with him already in glory in a spiritual, eternal viewpoint, but it is on a day-to-day -day basis that we learn how to sit at, at Jesus' feet and to learn from him. This is the invitation from the mouth of Jesus, the master teacher himself. It's found in Matthew 11. Listen to these words. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are burdened down. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. I'm going to tell you, folks, 
you're going to have to labor under some yoke no matter who you are. There is no free ride. There is no way to live in life that you don't have a yoke upon your shoulders. You know what a yoke is? It is what tied two uh, service animals, usually an oxen or, or, or maybe a, a couple of bulls together uh, so that they could pull the plow or pull the wagon or whatever. And Jesus said, come to me if you're weary and tired and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you. That almost seems like a contradictory thing, does it not? You'll find rest under my yoke. <laughs> you say, I'd rather not have a yoke at all. Well, listen, you're going to have a yoke. It's either going to be the world's. It's going to be a yoke of your own making. It's going to be your job, your career, whatever you devote yourself to. You are going to labor under a yoke. Nobody is a free agent in life. It's an impossibility. You're going to be under some kind of yoke. We may be free Americans, but understand there really is no such thing. You're going to be under some kind of yoke. More likely than not, many different yokes. But Jesus said, yoke up with me, and you'll find rest for your souls. I'd love to just take off sideways here and talk to you about the yoke and what that means and how that worked in Jesus' day and even how it works in some cultures in our lifetime today, but uh, this is not the time or place. Just understand this, that you are either going to be a servant to yourself, to the world, or you're going to be a servant to Christ. And if you want rest for your souls, and if you want to know what it's like to be, be held close and strengthened by a master who is gentle and lowly in heart, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, you need to be learning from Jesus. There's a great example in Scripture of somebody you and I need to be even more familiar with. Her name was Mary. She was one of several Marys in the Gospels. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, not uh, Mary Magdalene, but I want to talk to you about Mary of Bethany. She had a brother and a sister, and the three of them were some of the best friends Jesus had. Do you remember? She had a sister named Martha. She had a brother named Lazarus. And you remember how Jesus raised her brother from the dead. We find this Mary mentioned at least three times in Scripture, three times that we know it's her and not one of the other Marys. One time is when Jesus first came to their house. The other time is when he came after Lazarus had died and he's going to raise him from the dead. And the third time was a day or so before the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay? But here is what we know and take note of about this Mary. Every time she's mentioned, her posture is the same. Where is she? She is at the feet of Jesus. She is there at Jesus' feet, learning from Him, being comforted by Him. 
She is there the last time when she uh, breaks open a box of, of ointment, very costly, and pours it on Jesus' feet and anoints his feet with her hair. This wasteful extravagance of worship. Every time she's mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. Is the same true about you? Is the same true about me? Pastor Dan in his sermon last Sunday already preached about during COVID how we have worshipped Netflix and Hulu and all the streaming services. I now know what was going on at his house, and I'm concerned about that. <laughs> we give so much time to so many places, to so many things, with so little reward from that. We've traded worship for entertainment. And can I tell you, a lot of people are doing that this morning in the name of church. They are. They've traded true worship and true biblical teaching for somewhere where they're entertained by the music and the lights and the smoke. I think we need a smoke machine here. Don't you think that would cause us to feel closer to God? If we had some colored lights on the walls and some smoke drifting up. There's one church in California, they'll swear up and down that when the Spirit comes along, there's little gold-like glitter that falls from heaven all around people. We are entertainment crazy, even in our faith, even in our religion. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus during three very different circumstances of life. A time of great joy when Jesus had come to town. A time of absolute devastation and loss when she lost her dear brother to death and he had been buried long enough that he already was stinking. And they had called for Jesus to come when he was sick and Jesus didn't come. And she's doubts, she's dealing with doubts and fears, yet still she comes to Jesus and is kneeling before him and then the night before or very shortly before his crucifixion when everyone else was celebrating the, the fact that Lazarus was back and alive this one woman was so in touch with the spirit of Christ she was probably the only one in the room including his disciples that understood the gravity and that something was coming the death of the Messiah and she was anointing him even before his burial, before he was dead. In her worship, in her discipleship, in her suffering, she was always at the feet of Jesus. That's what it means to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that positionally we are in Him, we are already there, you are already made perfect. That's why the Bible tells us that you are made perfect and that you do not sin in Him. You are not sinning right now. A positional place of victory for your soul, for your spirit. And that's how Jesus sees you. Not in all your shortcomings, but in who you are in Him. 
But we also, in time and space, we sit before him. How do we do that? How do we learn from him? We do that by spending time in the scripture faithfully and regularly, not blowing the dust off your Bibles on Sunday morning and making your way to church, but a word, the word of God that gets used every day in your life in prayer, in communion, when we take uh, communion together, in relationship with other believers. For God uses all of these to teach us, to encourage us, to strengthen us for what comes next. You cannot be sitting at the feet of Jesus and neglecting the Word of God and the people of God, the church, and expect God to bless. Sit. 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 You've heard the expression, don't just sit there or stand there. Do something, right? Some of us need to learn how to don't just do something. Sit there for a while. Get quiet. Let your mind take in the truth. The truth that you'll never fully understand till you get to heaven. That in your spirit and in your position and in your relationship with Christ, you are already there. You are already there. And because you are already there in a place of victory, you're going to face a challenge tomorrow in your job, in your family, in some, maybe your health. You're going to face a challenge that you don't know if you're up to it or not. Understand, you don't have to try to generate some kind of victory over that situation you can move from a place of victory and face it with courage. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Let him teach you. Devote yourself once again to his word, to prayer and communion. Because you see, God also calls us to walk. To walk the walk. And you're going to face an enemy that's going to try to knock you off your feet. And you're going to have to learn how to stand. To stand. To stand and not be shaken. You'll never learn to walk. And you'll never be able to stand if you don't first of all sit. He has seated us in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. It could be that someone here today is not there. You've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never humbled yourself before Him. 
You've never surrendered your heart to Him. You've never acknowledged Him as your Lord and your Savior and as the authority over your life. Until you do that, everything else about life is going to just come to naught. To come to naught. Not only here, but no eternal blessing in the hereafter. Instead, a separation from God in a place of torment and pain. Will you give him your life today? Will you just open up your heart and say, Jesus, I am a sinner of the worst sort. I may not be as sinful as somebody else, but I'm just as lost as anybody in this world. I need you to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my heart. I want you to save me. I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you and serve you all the rest of my days. There's no magic formula for all that. All you have to do is bow your heart and your head to the Lord and ask Him to to come into your heart and to save you and acknowledge your sin to Him and commit your life to Him. If you do that, I hope you'll tell someone about that. I hope you'll tell me about that. For it is with the mouth that confession is made into salvation. All right? To you who know Christ, I hope that you will gain a new perspective of where you sit today. That you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and He is completely happy and thrilled with your life because he bought you to himself. But that here in this life as you live it, you'll commit yourself to follow him, to learn from him, to follow wherever he leads to go. We'll talk about walking and standing next time. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And I know that it's hard to understand because I don't fully grasp the meaning and the impact and all the implications. But Father, I thank you that you're not a long ways away, that Jesus, you're not some distant Savior, but that we are with you right now in glory. And I pray that we will live as glorified saints in this life and that we will live in such a way that will please you every day. It's in Christ's name that I ask it. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.